Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Today, though, I want us to look at Matthew chapter one, and uh, we're gonna read, I'm gonna read the first seven verses, and I'm gonna skip down to the bottom portion. Matthew chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Get ready. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. If you have a a pen or something to underline, maybe underline that right there. Whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amidab. Amidab, the father of Nahashan. Nahashan, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Maybe underline that line as well. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Underline that one. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Underline that part as well. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. We could keep going, but I will keep mispronouncing these names. (laughs) Why don't we skip down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Verse 17, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Christ. I just thought today on Christmas Sunday, I would take a few moments and I wanted to preach from the subject, God's dysfunctional family. God's dysfunctional family. And I just thought on this Christmas Sunday, some people could use some encouragement out there. Anybody can use a little bit of encouragement around your crazy family. (laughs) I I think the holidays have the ability, right, at times to, of course, help us focus on all of the great things that we have and celebrate and have a heart full of gratitude for all that God has done. But I've also learned about holidays like Thanksgiving and of course, like Christmas, that holidays also behave like a magnifying glass. And many times they begin to expose the hurt the pain, the shame, the regret, the abuse. In fact, research has shown us for many, many years that times like Christmas, that things like mental health begin to get worse. In fact, things like suicide oftentimes even increase around what most of the people call the most happiest time of the year. I don't know what your holiday plans look like this year, I know that there's many that are tuning in from all over the world and in different parts of the world. There's new rules and new restrictions of how we gather. But no matter how we gather, something tells me that all of us are gonna have to confront the fact that there's people in our life, people around our life, that when we think about them, when we consider them, at times it can bring about shame. At times it can bring about, how on earth can I move forward if I'm attached to that, or if I went through this over here. And I really believe there's two types of families. There's the family of origin, which is your natural family, which you were born into. How many know none of us get to control that? I think some of us at times wish we could control that, uh, but we don't, We, we just, we're born into that. But equally as powerful to your family of origin is what I call the family of choice that every one of us, as we grow, we get to pick and choose the people that we put in our life. I think it's so important that you surround yourself with healthy people. Who you surround yourself with is who you become like. That's one of the reasons why I love church so much, because church is my family of choice. It's not just something that I do like an event that I go to or a place that I show up in. I don't just come to it to get content. I don't just come to consume. No, this is my family of choice. I get to give. I get to be a part. I get to be in this family. And I don't know this Christmas season what it's going to look like around your tree. 
I don't even want to begin to assume that I could even understand some of the hurt and some of the pain that some of you guys have experienced when it comes to your family of origin. I do know this. I love the quote from Socrates. He says, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. I think one of the most beautiful things about the birth of Jesus Christ is that when Jesus was born, how many of you know that gave all of us a pathway to be born again? What a beautiful truth today that those of us who are on the outside, those of us who've come from a place that maybe we're not proud of or a place for us that we many times feel like has held us back. One of the great powerful truths of Christmas is that when Jesus was born in that manger, it was the announcement to all of us that each and every one of us, no matter where you come from, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you have done, you are invited to be born again into the family of God. Let me just prophesy over your life. Where you have been is not in charge of where you are going. Where you have been is not in charge of where you are going. I want to speak to your future today. I want to encourage you in this Christmas season. I don't know what pain you are having to confront, but I know this. I know that your purpose is greater than your pain and God has a plan for you. Today, I thought it would be fun just for a moment uh, I, I want to preach the Christmas story. And you know what? On Christmas Eve, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you more of the Christmas story. I'm going to read from Luke chapter two and just give you the Christmas story. But I just thought today on Christmas Sunday, instead of just telling you the story of Jesus's birth, I thought it would be helpful for us to go backwards a little bit more. How many of you know that we all come from somewhere? Uh, we all have forefathers. We all have an ancestry. We all have a background. Whether you're proud of it or celebrate it, we all came from somewhere. And I thought today we would go backwards a little bit and we would discover some of Jesus's ancestry. We'd discover some of where Jesus came from and how he got to the place of his birth. See, Matthew chapter one is what we know as a genealogy. Now, most of us, if we're being honest, if we ever do like one of those one-year study plans or if we do a soap journal and it gives us our assigned reading, when we get to places like Matthew chapter one, a lot of us just go, I'm done, there we go. We just, we just tend to skim it, right? Uh, this passage is not really like very provocative when you just read it at, at a glance. It's not really full of much depth when you just kind of skim over it, when you just sort of see it. That's why many times you don't hear a lot of sermons based upon Matthew chapter one, the genealogy. Yet I think why this genealogy is different from every other genealogy is right there in verse one. This genealogy starts out by saying, this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And can I just encourage you, anything that has to do with Jesus has power attached to it. And rather than just glance over it, Can we just take a moment to dive in and discover if there's any truth for our lives today in 2020? I got good news for you. There is. It's important that you understand that Matthew, who's the writer of this text, Matthew is writing to Jews. Maybe even better yet, he's writing to at least Jews that have converted to Christianity. So Matthew, as he's writing his letter, he has a... Uh, a Jewish mindset in his mind as he writes. It's important because once again, as you're reading this genealogy, you might go, this is just kind of boring or kind of lame. I don't really know why this is relevant. But really what Matthew is doing is he's mimicking the book of Genesis. When you get into Genesis, you'll see these different portions of scripture that Adam beget this person and that person beget that person. And you just see these long records of genealogies. And so Matthew, as he begins to write, he knows that his audience is Jewish. And so as they're beginning to consume this, this is a tip of the hat that this all of a sudden is a connection point for those that are reading. And and as he starts writing, really those that are reading this, they would have grown up in Jewish homes. And honestly, as a Jewish little boy growing up, part of your studies or part of your tradition is that you would memorize the Torah. The Torah is Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
Can you, can you imagine that? I mean, like walking around having that memorized. And so as, as Matthew starts going, he, he starts to, to, to share this and starts to, to give these points. And as he does it, everybody who's reading it, these names that he starts listing, they would have known these names. Some of these names, maybe you're like, I don't know what any of those names are. But to those that were reading it, they would have quickly gone, I'm resonating with this. I'm connecting with this. I, I understand this. And Matthew, he's a good storyteller. Really what he does is he gives you three kind of famous names and he separates them. Uh, the first name is he gives the name of Abraham. Those of you that grew up in church like me, uh, that was one of the best worship songs ever. <laughs> I, it's just, I always think that we should put a drum beat to that thing and see if we can get the church going. Father Abraham had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. It's, it's just like, it's the hokey pokey for Christians. <laughs> It's powerful stuff. We gotta, bring, we gotta bring hand motions back. We gotta get body language into it, you know? By the end of it, you just look crazy, you know? But Father Abraham is the first famous name and he is the patriarch of Judaism. Now, I just want you to see this. Like everybody who's reading this would have taken pride in their culture and they would have taken pride based upon how they were born. That's really the Hebrew faith was, I was born into this. And as I'm born into this, there's this sense of we're elite, we're separate. We are God's chosen people. And so Matthew just starts drafting off names. The first name he gives Abraham, then he gives, he says 14 generations pass. And then he gives maybe the most famous king. That king's name is David. And everyone knows David. Everyone wants to be like David. Then he says another 14 generations go by when they find themselves in the exile. This is when uh, the Hebrew people were in captivity under the Babylonian empire, the Assyrian empire, the Persian empire. But then he says 14 more generations pass by and then the Messiah Jesus shows up on the scene. So I, just, I want you to see what he's doing. Um, when I was younger, I, I come from, I, I love my ancestry. I, I, I'm, I'm privileged that I was born into a four generation Pentecostal home. And my dad would put me to bed at night and he would tell me stories of my forefathers. In, in many ways, I, I feel like I am uh, my forefathers uh, dream come true. I think many of the things that we're getting to do today as a church was their prayers and their dreams from, from decades and decades ago. And my dad would tell me stories about my great uncle, Mark Buntane. And Mark Buntane was a missionary in Calcutta, India. And in his 20s, he, he left uh, America and he went to Calcutta and he gave his life to Calcutta as a missionary. They built a world-class hospital. They had feeding programs that would feed tens of thousands of people daily. I mean, just a man who just was of the people serving and giving his life for the gospel. And so when my dad starts talking about Uncle Mark, I just met him one time as a kid, but as soon as he says his name, I start to feel confidence. I start to feel faith. Or, or maybe my dad would tell me the stories of my uncle David Wilkerson, who David Wilkerson in the 50s left his country pulpit and went to the heart of New York City and began to preach a revival to, to gang members and to prostitutes. And there's stories of David Wilkerson that while he was preaching, gang members coming and picking fights with him, but he never backed down. He always operated in courage. He always operated in bravery. And from his life and from his ministry, Ministry continues to happen today, even though he has passed away. So in many ways, what Matthew is doing is, is Matthew is putting confidence in the people. Going, I just want to remind you of, of, your, of your ancestry. I want to remind you of your history. I want to remind you of where you came from. So they hear names like Abraham and they go, I'm a risk taker, man. Abraham stepped out into the unknown, not knowing where he was going. I can do that too. He starts talking about David and everyone's like, I wanna be like David. David was the warrior poet. He was the Renaissance man, right? He was the guy who could write. He was the guy who could battle. I wanna be like David. He talks about Solomon. Well, everybody wants wisdom like Solomon. He's building confidence in the audience about where they came from. But one of the most fundamental things that he does that's very, very fascinating that everybody back then would have caught quickly is that when you study the genealogies from Genesis and Deuteronomy, typically the way that you would begin a genealogy is that you would start with the most established and famous name. 
you would start that way because that name would give credit to all of the other names. The significance of the list of all the names would come from the name that everybody knew and recognized. Um, For instance, um, we do this sometimes in society, right? Like, for instance, uh, probably my favorite rock band of all time is U2. Uh, Stay out of the comments if you don't like it, but if you know some songs, put them in the comments right now. I want to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Streets have no name. I still haven't, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You could worship to that. I mean, it just... And, and, and the front man is this guy named Bono, who I just think even like in his 60s is still the coolest guy ever, you know? But let's just say that like, I wanted you, know, you to know that me and Bono are best friends forever, you know, like that we're so tight. Um, so l- let's just say, okay, to, in order to, to validate that, I'd have to give a list of how I'm somehow connected to Bono. And so um, 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 Bono's best friend um, goes to... Uh, <clears throat> to to a barber that um that my cousin uh goes to sometimes um so like you know uh, me and Bono are super tight because Bono's best friend goes to a barber that my cousin goes to what up y'all I'm getting ready to be in a rock band <laughs> but it's not exactly like that. <laughs> But it's kind of like that. It's, it, it's trying to, to give validation to your connection. This is how they would do the genealogy. They would start with the strongest title. Yet what I want you to catch, the reason why Matthew 1 verse 1 is so important for us, especially in Christmas season, is Matthew flips the format up. Matthew flips the entire script up. He gives all of these patriarchs of the Jewish faith but he does not start with all of their names. Instead, he starts with Jesus's name. As if to say, Jesus's value does not come from his family, but rather his family's value comes from Jesus. Oh friends, this is our story as well, that each and every one of us, that our story doesn't have value because our name is front and center, No, your story has value today when Jesus is placed at the top of the list, when he becomes the priority. Matthew flips the format and it would have been provocative. Matthew is saying all of these names that you have heard about, all of these names that have been building your faith, all of these names that have been giving you confidence, all of these names that you have been trying to represent and and follow in their footsteps, they all pale in comparison to the name of Jesus. In fact, all of Judaism has come to this moment right here. It all hinges on the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh baby, Christmas is powerful. It's the power of Christmas that we get our significance from Jesus Christ, the Messiah born in the manger. And friend, today it is true for you and I, whether your past is good or your ancestry is bad, the significance of your life is not based upon your merit or your pedigree. It is based on the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one who provides significance. As you start to go through this list, of course there's these famous names, but I suppose the thing that is so encouraging, but also so scandalous about this list of all these forefathers that went before Jesus, it's not the strength of the people in this list. Come on, how many know the real encouragement is the list of the weaknesses of the people in this list. In fact, if we're really being honest today, as you start to study the history of Jesus and his ancestry, you cannot deny the simple fact that the ancestry of Jesus is jacked up people. And if this Christmas, you're having to confront the pain, the trauma, the abuse, the depression, the anxiety. And if it's coming from the fact that you were born in a place that you're not proud of or that you wish you could escape, I want to encourage you on this Christmas Sunday, there is one who can sympathize with you. 
For there is no doubt that there are men and women in this list who did great things, but friends, their strengths at many times are outweighed by their weaknesses. I mean, Abraham was amazing, no doubt. He took a risk, but Abraham also did some jacked up stuff. You know that Abraham put his wife into a harem twice, all because he was afraid? I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. In fact, he got rich from Pharaoh because Pharaoh was so pleased with his wife. Another time, Abraham, because he couldn't conceive children and because he couldn't wait on God's timing and God's promise, he tried to speed up God's timing. He slept with his maidservant, Hagar. She gave birth to a son named Ishmael. But as the son came, Abraham cast Hagar and Ishmael outside of the camp. I don't know about you, but this is the father of faith. But you could also say this dude was a jerk. If this was 2020, he'd be canceled. I mean, go through the list. Judah, like Judah's on that list. I'll tell you his story in a moment, but this joker slept with his daughter-in-law. You heard it, his daughter-in-law. Jacob, his name means deceiver. Like he cheated his brother out of his blessing. He was a liar. David, murderer, had an affair. I just want you to understand that the people in Jesus's genealogy are jacked up just like you are and just like those that have gone before you. I want to introduce you to God's dysfunctional family. And I wonder today if God's dysfunctional family can bring you and I any sort of hope, any sort of encouragement, any sort of recognition that his grace and his love and his mercy has not left us, but he's right with us. I, I suppose the thing that's the most scandalous on the list, and maybe this won't hit you that hard because it's 2020. The thing that's the most scandalous about this list is as Matthew was writing, remember, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience and everything he's writing is on purpose. He's drafting off of the book of Genesis. He's copying that flow. But as he's doing it, he starts with the greatest name on this list is Jesus. It's not Abraham. It's not Jacob. It's not Judah. It's not Solomon. The greatest name is Jesus. But then what he also does, which is never before done in Jewish genealogies, is that he includes five different women. You say, oh, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but you've got to understand that Middle Eastern culture, that women were completely undervalued. They were seen as property. They, they were treated in so many cases like trash. They were discarded. They didn't have a voice. They were unable to teach. Yet somehow Matthew chooses to include the women in this list. And as you study this woman, Everyone say five. I just keep being drawn to things that have five in the scriptures. Five, year of, five years of Voo Church, five is the number of grace. It just keeps jumping up at me. But all five of these women, they all have unique stories. And I just, I don't know if you know their stories because once again, you might just read past you. You're like, I don't really know like why that, why is her name in there and who is she? Well, the first woman that he names is, is Tamar. Everyone say Tamar. Tamar. Tamar, if you've never heard her story before, it is a crazy, scandalous story. Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah is one of the 12 sons of Joseph. And, 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 and Judah has a son. His name is Ur, E-R. That's pretty dope. <laughs> E-R. How are you? My name is E-R. Okay. Emergency room? No, Ur. Okay. Um, Ur passes away. As Ur passes away, Tamar is left. Now, in that culture, when a husband dies, the father-in-law is supposed to give another son because everything back then was about passing on a legacy, about having more children. But Judah doesn't do right by Tamar. Instead, Judah, the father-in-law, lies and promises her that he's gonna give her his youngest son. But as the youngest son gets older, he never fulfills his promise. And so Tamar is left without creating a legacy for Judah. Here's where the story gets really, really strange. Judah's wife passes away as he gets older. And one day he goes to another town. And in that town, Tamar hears that he's going there. So Tamar, if you can believe this, disguises herself like a prostitute. And as a prostitute, she gets her father-in-law to be tricked. And she sleeps with her father-in-law. He has no way to pay her in the moment. And so she convinces him to give his seal and his staff and he says, I'm going to send a goat. This is 
Bible times, you know, a goat. Yeah, it was a lot of money back then. I'm going to send a goat, and then I want you to send me my seal and staff back. Well, what happens is, is that he goes away, sends the goat, but when he sends the goat, no seal or staff comes. And he's like, well, what just happened? Where, where'd this prostitute go? No one knows where this woman's at. Three months later, Tamar shows up on the scene, and now she's pregnant. And when Judah sees that she's pregnant, he wants to have her killed for being a prostitute. And before she's about to be killed, she comes and she presents the staff and the seal. And she says, oh, the one whose child I am carrying, these are his items. Judah repents before God and recognizes his sin that he was going to have this woman accused for his very sin. I just want you to see, this woman is one of the great, 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 grandmothers of Jesus. But the story, there's other, Rahab is on the list. Do you know who Rahab is? Rahab is a prostitute and a Canaanite woman. The Canaanites, remember, they are the people that stood in the way of the Israelites inheriting the promised land. And if you remember the story, Joshua takes up leadership. He sends two spies into Jericho to scout out the land. When they get there, there's this woman named Rahab and she happens to hide the spies and she protects them. And they say, thank you for protecting us. Our life for your life, because you protected us, we're gonna spare you. And so Rahab's like, great. And they say, put out a scarlet red cord outside the window and we will know that's you when we come to take down the city. Rahab the prostitute is part of Jesus's genealogy. What I want you to notice about both of these women is both of these women are considered outsiders, but these outsiders in many ways behaved more faithful than the insiders. Please understand this about God, that, that God is not pleased with your efforts and God is not pleased with your righteousness. God is pleased by your faithfulness. God is pleased when you choose to put him first. Ruth is on the list. Most of us know the story of Ruth. She has a whole book in the Bible named after her. But do you know where Ruth is from? Ruth is a Moabite woman. You were talking about an outsider. Ruth is, she's an outsider. Do you know where the Moabites were enemies of the Israelites? But do you know how the Moabites even came to be? It's just, you gotta, these stories are interesting and they weave together. The Moabites, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. There's a beautiful story of Abraham and Lot. And as they step into the land that God was promising them, they look out and Abraham says, okay, Lot, you pick A or B. Which land do you want? And one land was beautiful and gorgeous. The other land didn't look so good. And Lot, of course, he played the short game. He's like, I want that beautiful land. And Lot goes to that beautiful land. That land was called Sodom and Gomorrah. What I love about God is that so many people so often, they don't recognize that God's blessings, the scripture says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. Meaning that when you're in Christ Jesus, people get so confused about what's God's will? Is it A or B? Is it left or right? Uh, Don't get me wrong. There are moments you have to make the right decision, but I just know this about God, that when I'm in Christ Jesus, when I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't really matter if I go A or B. It doesn't really matter if I go left or right. He's gonna order my steps. Blessing is not on a place. The blessing's on a person. Abraham's like, I'll go to the land that doesn't look so good. And guess what? Abraham becomes the father of a nation. If you remember the story of Lot, God is angry at Sodom and Gomorrah. Crazy stuff was going down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, Lot, you got to get out of town. I'm going to spare you and your family. And God said, the only condition is don't look back. Don't look back. You want to you you change? Don't focus on the past. Where you have been is not in charge of where you're going. Don't look back. Look forward. The Apostle Paul said, one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I press on towards the mark. But what happens? Lot's wife looks back. This is like some full-on Chronicles of Narnia stuff. She turns to a pillar of salt. And Lot is left with his two daughters in a cave. If you know the story, I mean, you just can't. This is crazy stuff that took place in the Bible. 
The women, they can't have children because there's no one there and they need to have a legacy because that's where the value came from. So what do they do? They looked around and there was no one. I always think it's interesting. Sometimes people so desperate for a relationship, they look around and there's no one in sight. So they just choose the only thing that's in sight. And they got their father drunk and they both slept with their dad and Lot's son-in-law, his name was Moab. Hence, the Moabite people. And Ruth is a Moabite woman who, praise God, she was faithful to an Israelite woman named Naomi. And Naomi was a widow. Ruth became a widow. And Naomi caught a sense of God's will. It's time to go back home to the place where God has blessed us. And she said to Ruth, Ruth, you stay back. You've already fulfilled all of your duties and obligations to me, but I love Ruth. Ruth says, no, 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 no. When I made a commitment, my commitment doesn't change with the circumstance. So wherever you go, I'm gonna go. Your people are now my people and your God is now gonna be my God. Even though I'm a Moabite, I'm having my family of choice. I'm choosing to be faithful to you. Ruth is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. But it's not just Ruth. There's another woman's name in there. In fact, her name is not even put in there. Instead, it says Uriah, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The wife of Uriah the Hittite is a woman named Bathsheba. I don't know if you know Bathsheba's story, but Bathsheba, her name, Bathsheba, she's famous for taking a bath. It's a true story. She's famous. Bathsheba is famous for taking a bath. I don't even know how that happened, but she is Bathsheba. And if you know the story of Bathsheba, the scripture says that when the kings go off to war, David stayed back. David, maybe the greatest king that Israel ever saw. In fact, when the stories were being told, it's like, wow, David's incredible. And it would have, it would have built faith. Yet there's this little part of David's story and it's Uriah, the Hittite's wife. Hittites, once again, people that don't belong, they're outsiders. Bathsheba one day was taking a bath and David noticed her. It's amazing that when you don't do the things that you're committed to doing that you've, you've declared, David was supposed to be at war with the men, but instead he stayed back. Season of laziness. And temptation caught him and he saw her and took her as his own. She became pregnant, of course, and David now had to, had to get rid of the husband. So he had Uriah, who was a great soldier in David's army. He put him on the front lines on purpose so that Uriah would be killed in battle. I, I just, I'm taking time. I know these are like a lot of different stories at once. And you're saying, why are you telling me all these stories? I just want you to see this picture. You got Tamar who sleeps with her father-in-law and you've got Rahab the prostitute and you got Ruth the Moabite woman and you've got Bathsheba the, the woman who had an affair and it's just, it's confusing and it's like, yo, this is, this is some dysfunctional stuff. But one of the things I so love about the Bible and so love about God is that God is not afraid of our humanity. How many know if you're like writing a book which is meant to help establish and start a religion, there's probably some things that you should leave out. If you're trying to write a manuscript to recruit people to say, this is the way to do it, I would probably try to only showcase all of its leaders and forefathers in their best state, in their most beautiful state, but not God. He doesn't shy away from the fact that we are born broken. He doesn't shy away from the fact that we are fragile. He doesn't shy away from the fact that we mess up royally. And he's not afraid to be associated with us. God's family is dysfunctional. Not just because the genealogy proves it, but because I prove it. Have you ever had someone look at you and say, how on earth could you find yourself being associated with that person? I think the answer is really simple. Because Jesus chose to associate with me. 
don't know what you're going through today, but like Matthew 1, before it even gets to his birth, the story was beginning a long time ago. And the story didn't stop because of people's mistakes, because of people's downfalls, because of people's mishaps. The story continued. I think on this Christmas Sunday, as I look at four of these women, it's like, don't lose your present to your past. I don't don't know what it is about God, but God always runs to those that are broken. God is always for the outsider. God is always for the one who feels excluded, who feels cut out. It's like he runs towards that place, towards the disenfranchised. All of these women have a different story and they all got to that place in many ways, not because of what they chose, but because of what chose them. And you and I, I don't know what this Christmas season looks like, but some of us, we keep living in the past and we keep rehearsing it over and over again. And it's like every Christmas we come together, all it is is this moment for us to look at all that we've lost, all that we've missed. And I just want to speak today that Christmas is powerful because as Jesus was born, he was declaring that your present doesn't have to be stopped because of your past. There is a bright future and a story that continues to move forward. Your family's dysfunctional, so is God's. But I love these women because it's just simple. They didn't let others around them define where they were going. And I would just say to everybody who's watching right now, don't let the rejection of others override the approval of God. Don't do it. Don't, don't Don't let other people who say you don't belong make you for one second think that you don't belong. All four of these women, they were told they didn't belong. They were from different nations. They were from different tribes. They were women. This is like scandalous stuff. Anybody today who doesn't believe that women are valuable, that women can do all the same things that men can do, don't actually study what God is saying here because God places value on women 2,000 years ago. You belong. You belong. I suppose the biggest thing I learned about these four women is that God, he's honored by faith, not fame. He's honored by faith, not fame. You might not have known these women's stories. They're not necessarily the most famous women, you know? You don't go to people's houses and see a statue of Tamar. (laughs) There's not a lot of Rahab statues around. But they were faithful. They didn't give up. They didn't quit. What's amazing is that there's these four women, but then there's this fifth woman. Everyone say five. Five, the number of grace. And this fifth woman, well, it's the name Mary. You say, why would Matthew be sharing all of these women and these stories? Because when these young children and when these older men and women read this genealogy account, they would know the stories. And why are these stories being inserted into this moment? I think in many ways it's because he's getting ready in Matthew chapter one to introduce another scandalous story. Yo, anybody who looks at the Christmas story and just thinks it's peaches and cream, haven't taken the time to consider deeply what exactly is going on. Mary, a 15 year old virgin. Try that story sometime. Has to come home to her fiance Joseph, hey, I'm having a baby. It's God's son. What? This is crazy. You don't think people were talking? You don't think people were wondering? Yet I believe that Matthew was building a case because as you get into Matthew 1 and 2, you start to see the record of Jesus being born. You see the Christmas story unfold and it looks like the story is starting, but the story had begun a long time ago and the story has been built upon not perfect people, but rather faithful people, people who were obedient. When I think about Mary, she was obedient. How will this 
be. And the angel says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. And may I encourage you today for every how you have in your life, for every challenge that is in front of you, how will it come to be? The spirit of God will come upon you and empower you if you'll just stay faithful. I know, but Rich, I got some dysfunction around me. I got some problems and I got some weaknesses. Apparently, so did Jesus. Jesus, unlike the rest of us, is the only one who lived a spotless and sinless life. And because he lived a sinless life, he becomes the perfect sacrifice for you and I. God's family is dysfunctional because you and I are in God's family. But this is the message of grace that God doesn't choose perfect people. He's simply looking for available people and faithful people and people who say, I'll get back up, I'll go again. He's just looking for girls like Mary that would say, I'll just trust you at your word. He's just looking for men like Joseph that would say, this is crazy what you've called me to, but I'm gonna trust your word over my situation. And I'm gonna believe that your grace will empower me forward. So this Christmas, if you're thinking about quitting, if you're overwhelmed with the pain of the past, if your current situation does not look like the dream destination, I would say, don't give up. I would say, don't quit now. I would say, hang on tight because it's from this lineage and it's from this dysfunctional story that the greatest miracle came about. I wonder what type of miracle could come out of your dysfunction today. I wonder what God could do amidst the pain that you've been walking in. You know, last week I told a miracle story. You got to go back and you got to watch the message to hear the entire story. But essentially five years ago, Vu Church started and simultaneously as we were starting to form this community, a woman named Rajni, about 10 blocks from us in the design district, one of the most expensive portions of real estate in Miami was constructing a building for God's glory. Five years ago, neither one of us knew each other, but five years ago, we were both being faithful. We were both being obedient. Didn't mean that we didn't have problems. Doesn't mean that we didn't make mistakes, but we were just being obedient and faithful. And five years into it, God brings both parties together for a miracle story that we're now gonna own our own piece of property, a piece of property that is a long-term real estate play that is worth millions and millions of dollars today. We couldn't afford it on our own, but people were faithful and people were generous and people brought their best and we're gonna own this property for God's glory. Yeah, here's what's amazing. Telling that story today doesn't require any faith. Telling that story today is just an observation that leads to gratitude because it's already happened. You know what a better way to view that moment? A better way to view that moment is thank you God for what you started five years ago. And now today, Lord, as I'm standing here in December of 2020, I wonder what miracles you have waiting for me in five years. I wonder, even though I feel like things are dysfunctional around me, what could be awaiting me in 10 years if I'll, if I'll stay faithful? See, I think one of the most powerful things here is what it says in verse 17. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Remember, Jesus is the one that brings significance to all of it. They would have known this ancestry and this history. But Matthew breaks down the math a little bit. He shows us that there's three portions of 14 generations. So it's 14 generations times three, which equals 42 generations. 
A generation is typically defined as any portion of time from 20 to 40 years. Let's just go with 40. So 42 times 40 equals 1,680. What I want you to understand is that when God made a promise to Abraham, it didn't take a month. It didn't take two months. It didn't take a year. It didn't take five years. It didn't take 10 years. It didn't take 20 years. Some of us right now, we're giving up because in one year it hasn't gotten better. Some of us are quitting because it hasn't turned around yet for us in five years. But I wonder if you could see yourself in the genealogy of Jesus, not as a perfect person, but as someone who would recognize, I'm dysfunctional, I got some problems, but thank God for His grace. I'm just gonna stay faithful. I'm just gonna stay committed. I'm just gonna stay obedient. I'm just gonna stay on course. Because if Christmas tells me anything, it tells me that God's promises, although at times they feel delayed, they are never denied. Just ask Abraham. It was just 1,680 years before the real promise, the real promise that Jesus Christ, the one that would invite the world into the dysfunctional family of God. Up until Jesus, you had to be born into it. But now, those of us who choose Jesus, it might not have been our family of origin, but it now becomes our family of choice. I choose Jesus. I pick Jesus. And like the Apostle Paul says, I am grafted in to this legacy. I am grafted in to this lineage. I am grafted in to this genealogy. I am no different from Tamar. I am no different from Bathsheba. I am no different from Ruth. I am no different from Mary. I am just like a man, just like a woman, but I have chosen the one category that I will be just like them is I'm gonna remain faithful. I'm gonna stay the course. There's no telling what God can do, not overnight, but over time, because I'm gonna play the long game. Even though things around me seem weak, even though things seem challenging, even though things seem dysfunctional, I'm gonna believe in a God who's the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. Come on, if you believe it on this Christmas Sunday, lift your hands. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, sing it out. Come on. Yes, Lord. You're a holy God. in your home, maybe you're standing. This is holy ground. Not because we're so pure and so perfect, but because His grace is so strong. In any place He's invited to, He invades. I just want to encourage you today that God's grace is stronger than your past. God's grace is stronger than any mistake. And I know for many, this is not a season of encouragement. And many times this is a season of discouragement. But I just thought I would try to show you that your dysfunction does not disqualify you. God's not looking for your pedigree God's not looking for your abilities. God's just looking for your faithfulness. 
The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, that gave me the ability to be born again. Your family of origin is not in control of your future. If you want to have change, start building the new. Don't, don't look back at the old. I wonder if, if you're watching, maybe you're at Silver Spot, maybe you're on Zoom, maybe you're Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're at. I want to invite you into God's dysfunctional family. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Modern day Rich Wilkerson Jr. translation, come to me, all of you who are dysfunctional and you know it, ashamed and you know it, afraid and you know it, scared and you know it, depressed and you know it, worried and anxious and you know it, addicted and you know it, abused and you know it, abuser and you know it, oppressed and oppressor, all are welcome. Today, why not step into the family of choice? Why not this Christmas season? Why don't you actually inherit the greatest miracle? It's not the presence under the tree. It's the presence of God in your life. Emmanuel, God with us. It's simple. Scripture says in John chapter one, yet to all who received him and believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. Today with your head bowed, your eyes closed, you've never surrendered to Jesus. Just right now, just pray that prayer with me. Just invite him. Just recognize. It starts with just recognizing that you're dysfunctional, recognizing that you're a sinner, that you've missed the mark, that you're not perfect, but he loves you anyways. Pray this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, today I receive all that you have for me. I repent. Forgive me, Lord. Take away all my sin. I am dysfunctional and I know it, but thank you for loving me anyways. Today I choose to follow you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for being born. Thank you for letting me be a part of your family tree. Choose to follow you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Come on, church, can we go ahead and celebrate? Can we put our hands together? Come on, can we thank God for people choosing to be a part of God's family? Listen, so many people praying that prayer today. I would just tell you right now, if you just prayed that prayer, this is Christmas Sunday, text the word decided right now to 786-755-3737. We want to partner with you. Don and I wanna send you an email. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here. Hey, don't miss Christmas Eve this coming Thursday, 4 p.m., 6 p.m., 8 p.m., and 10 p.m. We're believing God is gonna to speak to us. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.